This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's really sad because it's like you're kind of grappling and comprehending the scale of like how deeply this goes and how many people have experienced sexual violence and rape and have that trauma and have to live with it. But at the same time, it's so affirming and empowering to know that like you're not alone and that you're not crazy and that, you know, actually other people have been through this stuff too and there's a way forward and that healing is possible. If you are a young woman right now, if you know any young women right now, you are probably very well aware of how hard it is to be a young woman growing up in our world where there is so much sexual violence online, offline. They're both really the same thing in the real world. And how little space there is to talk about this, to talk about rape culture, to talk about how all of this is so much like in the water, not just one-off incidents. And one person who is tackling all of this is writer and activist Soma Sara. She is the founder of Everyone's Invited, also the author of the book with the same name. And Everyone's Invited is a platform where survivors can share their stories. In today's episode, Soma and I talk about why she started this space, how rare it is to have conversations in our world about the violence that seems to just be everywhere and the ways in which she's cultivating community to be a bomb, to be a space for healing and to be the first step in building a better world together. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So to get started, we don't like to define people. We let people define themselves, introduce themselves how they want the community to know them. So how would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Soma and I'm 24 and I'm a writer and an activist, and I am the CEO and the founder of um, an organization called Everyone's Invited, which um, is a safe space for survivors to share their stories completely anonymously. And how did, I'm gonna dive right in because Everyone's Invited, both the book, the organization, are such a lifeline for so many people. And I feel like even for me, reading your words has been just like, okay, there's someone else out there who gets it and we aren't alone in this. And I'm curious about how you got started with Everyone's Invited. What was the inception of it for you? Um, uh, yeah, thank you so much for saying that. And that really means a lot to know that you've read my book and that, yeah, it's given you that kind of sense of knowing that you're not alone and I guess comfort and solidarity but um essentially it started quite a long time ago not that long maybe almost three years ago in June 2020 and I at the time um was finishing up my degree and I was doing my finals and it was the sort of beginning of lockdown I think and I began having conversations with friends during that times during that period. And we just began to realize how many of us had experienced sexual violence and harassment and abuse and misogyny. And that this kind of, that kind of behavior was particularly prevalent 
um, through our teenage years and like probably some of the most like formative and vulnerable years of our lives and that it was only when we sort of looked back and kind of reflected on those times that did we realize how kind of severe a lot of those experiences were and how much they you know really had a profound impact on our lives and who we what who we are and kind of the trauma that we'd suffered and gone through and how much we were in unable to articulate kind of what was happening to us at that time because we didn't really have the language or the confidence or the words and and then we also didn't really know that it was wrong we yeah we weren't so we weren't really able to effectively challenge it and then we weren't talking about it among you know amongst ourselves and we weren't talking about it to the adults and the teachers and the parents and the people who were kind of meant to be looking after us and supporting us and then I think there was this wider culture of shame and stigma and kind of the sense of like suck it up and this is how it is and you've got to get on with you know this is yeah it's it's tough world and so yeah having lots of those discussions and realizing how many of my friends had experienced sexual violence and assault and yeah and how it wasn't just those those kind of more extreme experiences of rape um, and violence and assault it was this kind of wider culture that was creating an environment that allow, allowed those the worst um, incidents to happen. So it was the attitudes and the beliefs, the misogyny and the sexism and the kind of harassment and this culture of bullying and sexual bullying and dehumanization essentially that was really sort of prevalent and just so powerful during those years. Yeah. And you shared your own story online to to get things going which is so brave. I don't know if you like that word or not, but it to me, it's it's such a brave act to to speak out loud because I know for me, even as a person whose job it is to to talk about things, it can be really scary to speak my truth into the world because you don't know how it's going to be received. And also it's like, here I am. And I'm wondering about, as was there like a decision-making process or was it just, I'm going to post this, we'll see what happens? I mean, thinking back to that moment, I think I just felt like I had to do it. I don't know. I think I was really upset and I was angry and there was a sort of, yeah, I'm not, I didn't really expect anything or know what would happen. I think in that moment, I just probably wanted to feel less alone and like hopefully like find some kind of solace in, in, you know, seeing if anyone else I grew up with had experienced what I experienced. And immediately I was inundated and there was this outpouring of stories and my peers, my community, my friends, these friends of friends were just reaching out to say how much they resonated with not only my experience, but this idea of a rape culture, this idea of a wider culture that is normalizing and trivializing sexual violence, these attitudes and beliefs and behaviors that, you know, day-to-day experiences of misogyny and catcalling and being groped and being grabbed and having nudes being shared without consent and, you know, coercive relationships and so much pressure to have sex at such a young age. Like all of these things were so, yeah, so prevalent and so normalized. Um, And then, yeah, it wasn't, you know, not only the culture aside, it was also the kind of invalidation and shaming and victim blaming that went on when people did actually speak out and try and challenge things. And so, yeah, I, I just, it was really incredible to have so many of people in my community 
just telling me how much, you know, they, you know, how much of themselves they saw in what I was saying and how, you know, and it just made me feel like, wow, like I'm not one in a million. Like this is, I mean, it's really sad because it's like, you're kind of grappling and comprehending the scale of like how deeply this goes and how many people have experienced sexual violence and rape and have that trauma and have to live with it. But at the same time, it's so affirming and empowering to know that like you're not alone and that you're not crazy and that, you know, actually other people have been through this stuff too and there's a way forward and that healing is possible and that um you know there is community and solidarity and kind of like sharing together yeah and it was so amazing to see how much kind of power there is in like in sharing stories and in narratives and in like you know reading and sharing and listening and I think that is why everyone's invited as a campaign as an organization as a movement has been so impactful it's because it's, you know, the quality is personal, it's intimate, and you are connecting with these, these stories, these individual testimonies that, you know, many people read and almost think, you know, that could have been me, I could have written that. And yeah, it's so intimate, some of these stories and, and so, yeah, obviously devastating and heartbreaking. And, you know, in many cases, this is like the most traumatic experience that they've had, but it's so you know, I don't know, revealing. And it's like this really comprehensive education and understanding and this really incredibly powerful empathy building tool in kind of comprehending how these things happen and how, yeah, how these experiences kind of occur and in, in the kind of kinds of environments and the kinds of dynamics and um, power dynamics and interactions and how one thing leads to the next. It's also like working in a way that people who may not you know, have an understanding of those experiences or who, who haven't experienced sexual violence or who are coming from a different perspective are able to ground themselves in that reality and, and begin to understand and empathize and see how, you know, how this culture exists and maybe how behavior, you know, sexism, misogyny, um, those really harmful attitudes are actually creating that culture that leads to violence. And I think that was such kind of an important learning moment of getting people to understand rape culture, understanding how it is a wider culture that we're all a part of, that we're all, we're all kind of complicit in, that we've all been raised and, you know, we, we've been, we're in a patriarchal society and we have a lot of internalized misogyny and all of these kind of rape myths and ideas about sex and assault are so ingrained and, you know, the shaming and the victim blaming. So bridging the gap between the behaviors and the attitudes and then the actual violence as well and seeing how it's, it's dehumanization. It's like the slippery slope. And when any, any individual is dehumanized, that's when they become vulnerable to violence. I think what you've said there also about the culture is so important and just says a lot of like it, for so many of us we feel like well either I'm the only one right or my story isn't the worst story so mm -hmm. it's it's not that bad and that's one of the things that came up repeatedly if you read the testimonies like we would see so many stories framing their testimony with I've been reading the testimonies and, you know, there's no, you know, what I'm saying is like, you know, it's, this, it's no way where near as bad as the other ones on the page, yeah. but, and then proceed to kind of tell us like a very incredibly traumatic, you know, really 
really awful incident of sexual violence. So everyone thinks, invalidates them. It's so ingrained that everyone, you know, is just sort of trained to invalidate their own experiences. And it's just like, yeah, so that was one of the really sort of quite alarming things that we kept seeing people like not quite grappling with the severity of what they've been through and this kind of like self infliction of like gaslight like the gaslighting of oneself we would see like like repeatedly and I think that says a lot about our society and how and women and how you know yeah maybe there's a lack of confidence and I mean a lack of I don't know, kind of trust in one's own truth and sort of sense of sense of reality. It's also so hard to like believe that a thing is bad when the whole world is telling you it's not right. And like, I don't know if you were having these conversations with your friends much before you started Everyone's Invited. I know for me with my friends, I'm in my early 30s and it took us like into our late 20s to actually start talking about the things that we all saw happening to each other as well, but no one quite knew how to like bridge the gap and be like, are you okay? Because what if you are okay? And I'm the one who's like making it not okay. Right. And there was a lot of like, am I the only one who thinks this is bad? I'll just sit here in my silence and kind of just linger in it because it's, it's in the water. It's all around us. So normalized. And I think that's why it goes unchallenged so much and I really relate to what you're saying like because you just think it's normal and a lot of us a lot of survivors bury their trauma or they experience delayed or repressed trauma and many people you know kind of never come to terms to that with their experience and I mean that's almost like a survival a way of coping and like a, a survival instinct I think but it's so kind of it's so such a moment when you finally do have those conversations because yes, it's very difficult and triggering and, and it's really hard, but it's also like the biggest relief and release and kind of like, wow, like I am not crazy and this is shared, this is real. And I think those initial conversations with friends, you know, when I first shared, were the most, some of the most kind of like profound and intimate moments of my life where I really felt so close and connected with my peers and and with the girls and with the other women and, you know, the other people who had, you know, you just, there is this really deep bonding that go, that just happens immediately. And then you just have this like shared knowing and the shared understanding that is so, I think it's so healing and and healing is such it's such a journey especially for survivors and yeah it's just like I think community is so healing and I think you need to be it's like you know that moment where you you know it begins with just feeling validated and seen amongst each other and yeah and in a world where you're contending with not feeling that, not being validated or feeling yes. seen at all, and to create that like little bubble where yes. it exists, right? Yeah, it's like that comfort. It's it's really striking to me. I've followed your work for a while, and and was listening to some interviews as well, and preparing for this conversation, and. Very often when older women interview you, I feel like you know where I'm going to go. There's a sense of like first of what I encountered as a listener and a reader was the questioning, like, is it really this bad? 
okay, yeah. And then they'll tell you a story of something that's really bad. Yeah. And you're like sitting with, well, yeah, like you, you went through it too. There, there you yeah. go. I think that's happened so much with not just in interviews, but with like pretty much everyone we've spoken to in like when it all first blew up, we, we were speaking to academics and, and like students and young people and old people and politicians and policing and journal and like just people from everywhere and every, literally in almost every single conversation, people just had to share their stuff, like share something that happened to them. And it, it was like, that was, that was happening in that moment. They were having those big kind of realizations in that. Yeah. And, and it's true. There's, it, especially with older women, they, they're like, I guess it's like this sort of almost like cognitive dissonance and like not quite, yeah, believing something, like not really believing something is that severe, but then kind of reflect, oh, actually I have experienced exactly that. And it's like had such a traumatic impact on the trajectory of my life. And like sort of, it's like matching up, drawing up the lines and realizing. Yeah. And it's, it's a really tough thing. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a very emotional, triggering, difficult area and subject. And I think because of that, you have to tread so cautiously and carefully in navigating these conversations in this, in, in activism, in working in the sector. There are a lot of traumatized people. And, you know, when people are traumatized, sometimes they, they don't, they can't think rationally and they can all, in very, in many cases also perpetuate harm to others. And I think that's why healing, coming back to healing again, it's so crucial. It's so important. I'm um, not just for, you know, obviously it is for every survivors, but especially for those working in the sector and that's ongoing. It also seems to me like if everyone is not everyone, but lots of people in conversation with you are having those moments, one, must be a lot for you to hold. How do you like, how are, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah are you doing? I'm, it is a lot. And I think like, I'm very lucky. I have the most, the most incredible, passionate, just such a caring, inspiring team of, of people around me and um, who run Everyone's Invited. And it began, we were all kind of just this sort of group of volunteers, activists, and and, they, and now a lot of them have formed part of the organization and work within the organization with me. But it's just the most amazing team, amazing, amazing individuals. And I think that we held each other, like it would not have been possible without all of them. It's a lot of check-ins, a lot of prioritizing your mental health and your well-being. And we still continue that work to this day. And, and it is you know, absolute top of our agendas and, and the priority. Cause we just realized like, you can't do it unless you're like really, you know, prioritizing healing, prioritizing your health and mental health. And I think for me on a personal level, that's been such a journey and like, just I, you have to find your rhythm and you have to find the things that work for you and like work in your routine and are effective. And I've had to do a lot of therapy, but there are lots of supplementary things like, whether it's running or yoga or like swimming or this or that think basically exercises or like activities in your life that calm the nervous system and bring you, yeah, to bring peace and make you feel present in the moment. It's so, it's so important. So yeah, I try and be as consistent as I can with, with those things. And yeah. What do you do to love deals? 
same as you, I think. Yeah. It's a it's a struggle, right, to like sit with it constantly, consistently. And it's it's great that you also have recognized that you need it to be able to because there's often like a sense of I have fun for myself at least, like a sense of guilt almost. Like, am I more important than the work? It's like, well, I can't do the work if I'm not around. So I am important, right? But finding a rhythm to balance you are the work like you can't do the work if you're not well that's what I've realized like yeah when in my life when I look at my work and when it's been going badly it's normally because I'm, I'm very ill <laughs> and it's like it's you know things you you start to achieve and 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 get you know work towards your goals and yeah move forward when you're really like looking up and I looking after yourself and I I just realized how like holistic everything is everything is so connected I used to like think of my body and my mind as two separate things no, and they're really not they're not it's like when I'm depressed I get like physically ill and then when I'm like physically ill I'm like very depressed it's <laughs> like our it's brains so, are actually in our yeah. bodies <laughs> or if you go through like a really hard emotional like something happens with, you know fall out with the friends or something happens to your parents something you know and then you find yourself getting ill. I think there's such deep connections um, with our minds and our bodies and our souls. And bodies are wise; like they're they're always telling us things. Right? Yeah, listening to yourself. So you're taking care of yourself and your team is, which is great. And then I think about so you like there there are places like everyone's invited, Frida, where we're trying to do the work and create these spaces for people to speak. But it's also so striking to me that people are encountering what you're doing and almost everyone has a story to tell because almost everyone does have a story to tell we're not talking about it enough in the culture right like we don't have spaces to have these conversations at least in my experience even like going to the pub with friends there's there are moments when you can talk about it and moments where it just it wouldn't be okay or it's a little bit like yeah well everyone deals with it get on with it and I, when I look at that, I just feel a deep sense of overwhelm. It's like, how do we even begin to like turn the tide to create spaces? Like what would creating spaces look like? Mm-hmm. And there are spaces online, like what you have created, what we're cultivating as well. But it feels like it needs to be, at least for me, it feels like it needs to be bigger than that. Don't really have a question. I'm wondering if you feel the same way. Yeah. I think we really try and encourage people to do this on like a community level in their own like microcosmic lives and their worlds and whether you know you're part of an organization or you're working for a company or a business or you're working in a school or university like within these places we need to be creating those spaces and yeah and I think anyone can take the initiative and like campaign for it or you know talk to their teachers or advisors and like um talk to a manager at work and you know bring it forward and you know bring this higher you know it it, it it is on you know becoming more and more of a conversation and I think the work of everyone's invited has like especially in schools almost like revolutionized this whole area and made it like a, a priority yeah. because of our the government response to national Ofsted review and the kind of huge media attention and, and national conversation that we provoked at the time so I think there has been a shift in education um, in universities and in schools in the UK, but there's still so much more work to be done. That's only like one element, one facet of society. There are all these other places. And I think, you know, there's still so many people who need 
to share their story, who need to, um, you know, come to terms with their experiences and need to begin their healing journeys. And this is just so pervasive. Yeah. I mean, it's universal sexual violence. I think anyone can make a change. Anyone can um, just, it just begins with talking about it and destigmatizing it and breaking down these, these taboos around the topics of rape and rape culture and sexual violence and pornography. And so have these, have these challenging conversations, create these safe spaces. And I think anyone can do it in whatever environment or place you're sitting in. We all have the power to, to speak up and use our voices and, and also to sit down and listen to each other and hold each other in our spaces. And, and I think that's also such a brave thing to do as well. It's really hard to have a moment and actually hear people out. And I think we're, we're living in such polarized, politicized, like angry, divisive times. And we like, we don't listen to each other. And that's really sad to me. And I think there needs to be, yeah, more dialogue, more understanding, more relating. And it takes a lot to get there. I think there's a lot of that. And this issue, again, it's, it's emotional, it's triggering. It's aggravating. People are like, you know, it's so people are, there's a lot of backlash there's anger there's fury and anger is important it's a catalyst to change but it doesn't help resolve the issue in the long term and we need to have empathy for each other for everyone in this culture even the perpetrators and that's been a controversial thing to say and we've received a lot of backlash for saying that but ultimately nothing is going to change if we're demonizing people we need to be trying to understand why someone you know would perpetrate harm and violate someone else and we need to understand that these are not isolated individuals and bad apples this is an entire culture an entire system that is allowing um violence to occur because it's normalized in the dehumanizing language in the media, how women are objectified and overtly sexualized. And, you know, in the films we watch, the TV we watch, the music we listen to, how survivors are invalidated and shamed and not believed consistently, you know, um, how survivors are con like repeatedly failed um, when they report, um, you know, within the policing system, within the criminal justice system, in their own communities, ostracized in their schools, shamed by their own parents. So it's not just that individual experience and or moment of violence between two people. It's that what it's the wider response and how it's treated, how it's seen, how, you know, it's dealt with the lack of justice. I mean, for a survivor, it's basically impossible to get justice in the UK. So what you were saying, which I agree with wholeheartedly, and I think Frida, Frida this too, of the it's it's so systemic, right? And it's so hard when we point at one person or one incident and it's not one person. It's like everyone is complicit and a part of it and like enabling that violence to continue and then go unpunished and the cycle, yeah continues and and yeah it's so much deeper than just two people one individual bad apples it's like a, a rotten culture for me it feels like i have found it very difficult to start the conversation with like going right to the point because people are so on the defense then of like mm, yeah. you're gonna talk about rape culture okay and i'm like mm, yes i am but like mm. 
and it, it seems like there are almost ways to ease into it because it's so widespread, right? Like we can talk about mm-hmm. the films we watch. We can talk about the music we listen to. We can talk about, like, it really stuck with me in your book, um, which it, I've heard it before, but the way you break it down of how, like, beauty is pain for women. Yeah. Like, it's it's everything. You can take yeah. one tiny piece of it and just start that conversation and we're actually having the bigger conversation. Yeah, and I think that's such a good way of framing it and and approaching things. And especially for people who feel defensive or they don't understand and they it makes them uncomfortable, begin with something that they can relate to and and then you can get, you know, get further into it and like start to unpick things and understand, yeah, how it's all contributing. Yeah, I mean it is I think in the writing of my book I I definitely had a, quite a lot of like sort of existential crisis moments where I was like questioning why, like I was reading a lot of like Andrea Dworkin and all the kind of 80s feminists and quite extreme at times. And I, and I was like questioning, what am I doing? Like putting on mascara. <laughs> like, yeah, but it is, it is fascinating that idea of like beauty as pain and how like women are constantly like in pain in pursuit of like like basically everything to be beautiful and that yeah and a lot of our our state like our state as human beings in the world is kind of to be in pain and whether it's painful beauty rituals or childbirth periods pain you know violence but you know, it, i mean it's depressing to think about but when you kind of lay it out and you really think about it and you really like yeah i i think andrea dworkin was probably the one who kind of opened my eyes to it more but it's just quite mind-blowing you're like i'm doing all these things like dieting and plastic surgery and this and that and it's all pain for beauty pain for beauty and it's like why do we kind of endure discomfort to be beautiful not for ourselves but for other people for you know to please others and that is such a kind of powerful deeply culturally ingrained kind of lesson that I think just women that's just been drilled into us as women and girls and yeah and then there's like the added layer of like women as objects right and like this really like broke my brain as I was reading what you were you were written about it where it's the even if we say we're like even if I wore this red lipstick for myself which I did I still wore it because there's something in the culture that told me that this is what beauty looks like this is what like a desirable woman looks like and so I am nodding but if I don't do it then I'm giving the culture the like I'm giving something else someone else the power but if I do it I'm like bowing to the culture it's like I don't know what to do now it's really I think as well that that's why it's so confusing for like young girls in like the kind of messages and the images that they're being fed and like it's really hard there's so many mixed messages and it's like the sort of discourse of like objectifying yourself and claiming back the power and that's empowering and you know you're but then it's like oh but is it really empowering because you're still kind of playing into those like really archaic like kind of dehumanizing kind of objectifying um 
presentations of women and da, da, da. and it's just yeah it is this subconscious thing of like you know am I ever really in like do I really do I really ever have a choice or autonomy or like am I have I just been brainwashed to like think that I have power when I don't yeah and I, I think you can just go round and round in circles and so yeah I think there are definitely moments <laughs> especially when I was writing my book where I was really like oh god this is like you know a little bit depressing <laughs> it's hard it's yeah. it's also it's just I think it's hard also because even though like there's so much around everything for women and girls in my mind and people of color like it, for any marginalized group right it's a here's how you reclaim your power yeah. and then also here's how it's all systemic <laughs> which was the whole like conceit of this podcast was well both both are true right we have power we have agency and also it's systemic and like how can we use our power to have some influence over our own sphere of influence and make something better but at the same time you have to nod to the fact that we're kind of stuck in this broken system yeah and I think we're just so full of contradictions yeah it's you know everyone has to make their way in a broken system and it's really hard to like I mean it's ambitious and we try and like change envision change and we try and make it happen but it's very you know a lot of these issues are so you know it's like decades and centuries yeah the way that these systems and power dynamics have existed and yeah it's it's really hard to find that balance between trying to stay true to your values and your beliefs and like what you think is right but then also having to kind of exist and navigate a system that is broken how, how are you doing it like what do you have not to say like do you have the tips and like can you tell people how to do it because we're all figuring it out but in the day-to-day -day for you like do you have things that you have realized there are like rituals that help you feel like you're being true to yourself and your values I just it's really hard because I think it's impossible to like I mean it's yeah I think truly living living in every way like living true to your values in like a if you're like in like London or you're in a city and it's impossible like if you're like do you know what I mean like truly true if you're really really that's like you wouldn't be able to go to the supermarket and buy an avocado you wouldn't be able to like get on the get on the bus like you know you, you can't function so I don't know I think just like trying to like it's just it's I guess the smaller thing <laughs> I don't know just like my work and and just you know, we do a lot of work in schools and doing that. I think that is kind of what keeps you going. And um, what about you? How do you live true to your values? It's such a good question that I would hope no one ever turns on me. Mm. I think just like you, it's the small things, right? And it's also conversations like this, mm. right? For me, it's, I think, people. Yeah. How are you interacting and like behaving to the people in your life and around you and like, yeah like what do those moments look like and like are you like connecting with people and being kind and aware and and empathetic and sharing and how are you treating your friends and your family and like I think yeah just those moments small moments and the day-to-day -day. yeah it's really hard <laughs> I think also at least for me like looking at just the people in my life kind of makes it more like 
something I can contain almost. Like something you've written about and talked about a lot and I think is true for anyone who has come of age on the internet. Like we've just been exposed to so much more, right? Like we have more information, more images. We're constantly being bombarded with more messaging, more like even all the contradictions we're talking about. There's just more. For me, it's always felt like really like a... I know. I think you've just got to take like breaks from the content the streams of content you gotta I, I just try not to have social media and like, that's very like counterproductive to like my work and like all of the platforms I mean it's all online like it all began online but it's too much for the human brain <laughs> for like a yeah to, it just it's like violating to your peace I think as a human person to be like constantly bombarded with like content and imagery and like stuff and it's just sucking up all of your serotonin and attention and energy and happiness and and it's like we need a break <laughs> we need to create some boundaries and we need to find time away and relax and find each other again and have real experiences not be living online are you mostly off social media then is that like a thing yeah like I have my accounts but I, I like don't have the apps mostly on my phone because I'm like I'm I'm just so I have just the most awful I'm really addicted and I can't stop and I just need to kind of I've realized now that I just have to completely go cold turkey to like I can't really like I, that's how they're built though they're built obviously to like reel you in and like you know capitalize and and cannibalize all of our attention but yeah I think because I've just been like doing it since I was 13 like just obsessed with staring like being on my phone and it's just so deeply ingrained it's like you lose your phone you lose your arm so I just have to like try I have to like really put in those barriers to like stop myself because it just makes makes me unhappy and I and i this is like what all of my friends think as well. Like we're just, it just makes you want, it makes us unhappy. <laughs> like after being there for two hours, just like, what am I doing with my life? I think it just makes everyone sad and unhappy and like feel bad about their lives and and compare and it's just toxic. And we still keep scrolling. Yeah. Yeah. It's also interesting because you've obviously built what feels like the opposite of what so much of like community air quote community online is right now right it's just us scrolling feeds and kind of feeling like crap after and you have very intentionally it seems like made something that is almost the opposite where it is a safe space and it is a space for empathy and solidarity and people coming together yeah so yeah it is it's it's uh, yeah lots of people who share say that they get a sense of like a catharsis and they really have found you know solidarity and and they know that they're not alone obviously and then it also really helps them begin their healing journey because it's like being first able to articulate their experiences feel validated and affirmed that what they went through isn't crazy and, and it did happen and it's not okay and then feeling you know getting the courage to actually find the support and get access to support that they need and begin their healing journey and and I think yeah it's it's had it's it means a lot to a lot of people I think just having being able to openly share something that 
maybe that they've buried for years. Like we get stories from people who are like in their 70s, 80s, who've like never spoken about their experiences before. And I think those often really stick with me when I see, and it's people of all backgrounds and genders and colors and, you know, ages. And got a lot of, a lot of men, a lot of marginalized genders and non-binary trans and, you know, lots of different, like, this is just, you know, like sexual violence is universal. It can happen to anyone. And it sadly, it does not discriminate. Anyone can be a victim and anyone can be a perpetrator. And I think that's also a really important thing to understand. I think all human beings are capable of hurting others and causing and inflicting pain, but we're also really capable of healing and love and sharing and and bringing such joy and love to each other. So it's just, yeah, another thing that's really important to understand how we're all kind of moving between these roles of victim and perpetrator and bystander. There's something also so inherently hopeful in that where so much of this can seem so bleak and overwhelming and just when you actually look at the reality of the world we live in, right? Where you have so many testimonies and people of all backgrounds, all lived experiences, all identities. When we look at the data, it's terrifying that this is the world that we have built collectively and we continue to perpetuate. But then there's also hope because it's not that any of us are just one thing. Yeah. What gives you hope? Probably young people. And that, I don't know. It's just, I love going to schools and I love, it's just so special and talking to young people about it. And I've had really intimate and amazing conversations with young people who are so passionate and so engaged and so interested and who really care. And it's really cool. And like, it feels, it's so rewarding to be there and be like, wow, like, it's like they they really care and like when I was that age there's no way I would yeah well like it, it just it's just really inspiring yeah and obviously my team are just amazing and I have such an, a wonderful time with them and they bring me all the joy <laughs> and it's just lovely yeah and just like it's just been incredible like the journey's been amazing we I've met so many wonderful people incredible organizations and activists in the space and there are so many people doing like really powerful, amazing work in this whole sector and not just in the UK and globally. And it's been really special to meet and get to interact with people like that and learn. And yeah, I just feel very grateful for the experiences that I've had. And I just feel like I'm just like enjoying, I'm trying to, <laughs> a lot of the journey has been really difficult and challenging and triggering and stressful and quite traumatic so I think now I'm just in the stage of like I'm just trying to appreciate every moment and like feel grateful that I'm like here today talking to you and getting to do a podcast which I never dreamed that I'd be doing at uni <laughs> I was just like what am I doing to like get to tomorrow but it's so cool like it's I have like a really exciting special life and I think sometimes it's easy to get lost yeah always work like thinking looking to the future and yeah you're like you talk to so many people yeah young people people working in the space and I'm wondering if there's like a 15 year old who's listening to this and you have this interesting insight where you've had all these conversations I'm wondering if there's anything 
that you're hearing where you wanted to say to them, hey, you're not alone, right? Like I hear about this all the time, or this is the thing that like you probably are feeling right now. And right, like the sex you watch watching porn isn't actually what it's supposed to be like. I don't know. I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but or the way you feel right now is is valid because I hear about it all the time. I'm curious if there are things that you hear all the time or you encounter all the time where you're like, I just wish you knew that, you know? Yeah. What do you mean? Like things that I hear. Do you hear from, like when you're talking to young people, are there specific, like when you're going into schools, are there, the t- are there types of things you're hearing a lot of or seeing a lot of where you're like, I just wish everyone, you know, got this message or knew that they weren't alone and feeling this way? Yeah. I think it's just like, I don't even know. Like, I think you just, you just like are so young and you just, you're just finding out, you're just like growing and developing into who you are and you're like, you're profoundly insecure. It's just like, oh, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it through. I don't know. But then I'm like always like quite shocked as well by how like smart and engaged and old even as well. Yeah. I mean, I probably just say like, you're not alone and uh, you should never be ashamed of any, if you've experienced anything like this and that you, you know, healing is very possible and you will heal and you will get over these things and you will move forward and you will again, you know, experience love and joy and light and happiness. And yeah, you're going to be fine. I feel like we all could do with that message. Which leads me to my final question, which you've kind of answered, but kind of not. Um, so this podcast is called Little Revolutions. The idea is very much that all of this is systemic, right? It's so much bigger than any one of us. And change sometimes can come in like the one fell swoop, but very often it comes in people like you doing the work every day, everyone listening, doing the work every day, like the small things that we can do. And for like 17 year old son or like 21 year old you who's listening to this what is one thing I hate the one thing but like to not make it feel like there's a laundry list of things you have to do what's like one thing someone can do one little revolution to to just like make the world a little bit of kinder world a world where they feel safer the first thing I thought of was just like just try and love yourself a little bit like just try and I don't know just like be a bit nicer to yourself like be kinder don't take yourself so seriously and like just enjoy and appreciate and like take it day day by day it's okay <laughs> and like just be kinder to yourself I I have like such a fierce critic and I've always had that and I think it's just not worth it it's just miserable like just be nice to yourself yeah, it makes all the difference. Yeah, I met a girl, an amazing, yeah, this this really, yeah, a really special lady. And she said that she'd always had a really, she'd really struggled with like addiction and mental health. And and then one day, well not one day, but she decided, she learned about like affirmations and she started saying, I love you. Like, I love you so much, but obviously her name every day in the mirror. And apparently it changed her life. And I know that sounds like such a weird, arbitrary thing, but I don't know, maybe that that makes a difference um, yeah and apparently it really transformed her life and she got a lot better so yeah can we just start start with something we could start with something basic like that i don't know thank you so much to soma for this wonderful conversation and thank you for listening to learn more about soma to figure out how you can get on everyone's invited check out our show notes <laughs>